Can I add my own good morning and welcome on this glorious Pentecost Sunday. It is very warm. You may feel you're flagging partway through, so we have got some water and some glasses at the back. If anybody just needs a, a quick slurp, then feel free to go and get one. I don't want you feeling jealous because I have water and, and you don't. Some words for Pentecost, a call to worship, written by Sheila Cassidy. Lord of the universe, word of life, open us to the riches of your teaching. Lead us ever deeper into the mystery of who you are and where you are leading us. Spirit of God, open our hearts to the wonder of your law. Our opening hymn, number 282 in the Red Hymn Book. Breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love, and do what thou wouldst do. And now we come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, refresh our tired lives. Release us from all that hinders our Christian growth. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe into our lives your breath of life. Come, Holy Spirit, flan the flames of love within us. Draw us into the life of God. Lead us to our God, the Creator. Tell us more of God, the Son our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, renew our worship and our living, that we may live the life of Jesus' love for the praise and glory of God. Come, Holy Spirit, inspire us with your divine energy, Bless us with your gifts to confirm in us our Saviour's service. Come, Holy Spirit, strengthen us in our living. Come, Holy Spirit, 
Lead us in the peace of Christ. Amen. So today is a special Sunday. It's called Pentecost Sunday. And if we were living a very, 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 very long time ago, it would have been the first of the Harvest Festival services. It would have been the Spring Harvest Festival when the first crops were gathered in. It was a very special festival for the Jewish people. And it became a very special festival for Christians. Because on that day, in a very, very special way, people experienced God's Holy Spirit. Very difficult to describe God's Holy Spirit because Spirit is invisible and you can't reach out and touch it and you can't smell it. We talk about the Holy Spirit as a person, but we also use picture language to help us think about the Spirit. And one of the pictures we use is based on a Greek word. Who speaks Greek? Douglas. (laughs) Ian. (laughs) Me to an extent. And it's a word we use in English, but we say it's slightly different in English. In Greek, you would say pneuma. In English, you would say pneuma. And that's where we get pneumatic to describe tyres when we pump air into them. And pneumonia, which is a very nasty disease of the lungs. I think you get pneumas in lungs, medical people. (laughs) Yep, they're nodding at me. Something to do with lungs is pneuma. That's okay then. Phew. So breath and breathing. Can you see breath? Can you see breath? No, it's invisible, isn't it? Very good. That's absolutely right. When it's very cold in the winter and you go, you can see it. Do you ever do what we used to do when we were children, which was very naughty? We used to go in the winter and pretend we were smoking because smoking is very bad for you. But we used to pretend. That's very good. So you can see it in the winter when it's cold. Very good. Who's ever let their breath out onto their hand like this? Done that? You've done that. What does it feel like? Feels like a wind, yep. Is it warm or is it cold? Warm. warm. Is it? Mm, okay. Who's ever done it like this? How does that feel? That's a bit warm. You think it's cold. I think it's cold as well. So breath can be warm. A bit colder. I think you're right. Perhaps because it's such a hot day, even the cold breath is warm. And this breath is what is the, is, is our breath made of? It's like air, isn't it? That we breathe in, make our lungs really big, out, make them really small. And this breath helps us to stay alive because the air that we breathe in goes into our lungs. Our lungs take out the good things that we need with the blood. The blood going through the lungs gets that, takes it all around our bodies, helps us to move and to think and to be healthy. And I think I better stop talking about that before the medics just despair totally of my terrible attempt at describing physiology. That's at about age eight level. But God's spirit is a bit like breathing, like what we breathe in, and it gives us life, helps us to stay strong, and helps us to grow in our understanding of God. So that's one of the pictures we're going to hold in our minds. And we're going to sing a song about the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. We're going to sing it first in the first person, fall afresh on me, as a special sort of request for ourselves, but then also in the the, uh, plural first person as we ask the, the Spirit to fall on us. Thank you, Paul.
God grabbed me. God's spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strewn with bones. He led me around and among them a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones bleached by the sun. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Master God, only you know that. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Dry bones, listen to the message of God. God the Master told the dry bones, Watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you, and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinews to you, put meat on your bones, cover you with skin, and breathe life into you. You'll come alive, and you'll realize that I am God. I prophesied, just as I'd been commanded. As I prophesied, there was a sound. And oh, rustling. The bones moved and came together, bone to bone. I kept watching. Sinews formed, then muscles on the bones, then skin stretched over them. But they had no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Tell the breath. God the Master says, Come from the four winds, come breath. Breathe on these slain bodies. Breathe life. So I prophesied, just as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came alive. They stood up on their feet, a huge army. Then God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Listen to what they're saying. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. There's nothing left of us. Therefore, prophesy. Tell them, God the Master says, I'll dig up your graves and bring you out alive, O oh my people. Then I'll take you straight to the land of Israel. When I dig up graves and bring you out as my people, you'll realize that I am God. I'll breathe my life into you and you'll live. Then I'll lead you straight back to your land and you'll realize that I am God. I've said it and I'll do it. God's decree. Well, that's a strange story, isn't it? A story about somebody who saw, perhaps in a dream, lots of dried bones in a desert, and they were all fallen apart. Do you like my skeleton? Well, it's not my skeleton, but <laughs> the skeleton I have. Now, I'm sorry, it's not quite anatomically correct, but this is as good as I could get on the internet at the size that would work for us. Um, I should really have asked one of the medics to bring in some, some real ones, but that might have been seen as a bit unseemly. Bones. Can you see what different kinds of bones there are? What, can you tell me what some of them are? Feet bones, well done. What are these? Knee bones, good. Ankle bones, oh, very good. Can you see some different bones on here? What's this? Arm bones, well done. And that's elbow. Elbow. Head. Yes. What's a, what's a head bone called? Anybody know what head bones called? A, 
It's, well, the whole thing's a skeleton. That's very good. A skull. Who said a skull over here? Somebody said a skull is that. That's okay. The whole thing is a skeleton. You're quite right there. It's very good. I don't think I knew that word when I was your age. So all different kinds of bones. And every different kind of bone has a special job in the body. Because if we just had a skull, we wouldn't be able to walk around, would we? And this one hasn't got a loose mandible or jaw, so we can't do... (laughs) The leg fell off. Oh, no. Well, that's quite handy, really, because that that moves me on from the diversity, all the different (laughs) kinds of bones, to the fact that the bones on their own fall apart. That's exactly what happened in that story. The man saw the bones, but just putting the bones back together, they would just fall apart like this skeleton did. So they had to get skin and muscle, well, muscles first and organs, and then some skin over to make the body whole. And, you know, the church is a bit like a body. We sometimes, where we sometimes use to talk about the church. Everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And everybody is important. That might be the spirit calling somebody. (laughs) Well, I think everybody's got the same kinds of bones, but everybody's a bit different. They're different lengths and different shapes. So, yeah, they're sort of the same but different. But they can, that's right, very good, because you've got little bones, but as you get older, they'll get bigger. Mm, Very good. So lots and lots of different bones. Now, we couldn't really have that story, and we couldn't really talk about bones without singing what we're going to sing next. It's maybe not a particularly deep song, but it's a good, good fun one to sing, and you can have a bit of a jig about as you're doing it. Ezekiel cried, Dem dry bones, oh, hear the word of the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about this service, about the breath of God that breathes life into the body that is the church, and the church that is so diverse with all the different people, with different personalities, different skills, and different abilities, it seems somehow right to ask different people with different personalities and skills to share their response Originally, I said to this reading, but some people have kind of been led beyond that reading into other things, and that's absolutely fine. That's part of the mystery of how the Spirit works. Now, you might find some of these things a little surprising. That's okay. Some of them you will relate to more than others. That's also okay. Every single person is sharing something that they have been inspired by God's Spirit to share. And um, Anissa and Sunday School are going to start us off first. Let's look at our hands. Let's think about the bones that make up our hands. There are 27 bones in each of our hands. Now let's take one hand round the other and start at the wrist. Can you feel the wrist bone? 
the little knobbly bit there, and feel down the palm. Into each of the fingers. I want you to breathe in and stretch the hands out and then breathe out and curl them in. Breathe in and stretch through to the fingertips and breathe out and let them curl in. Now each of us will have different movements in our hands. Some of us will be able to really stretch those fingers wide, wide apart. For others of us, that might be more difficult. But I want us just to see how we can move our hands. Can we move them round each other? Can we rub them as if we were washing them? Can we move those bones and the muscles and this skin. Just take a moment to see all the different movements that you can make with your hands. One finger at a time. In and out with the breath. Now I'm going to ask the adults to keep moving their hands slowly or fast with the breath, in and out. And I'm going to ask some of the children and young people to help me. When we were thinking about how we imagine the breath of God, we thought about how we see breath when we have bubbles. I'm going to ask the children to come round and blow bubbles and when the bubbles come over you you might want to reach out <laughs> touch some of the bubbles can you reach out with the bubbles everyone I got a bubble Stretch those bones up. Just go back to our hands. In and stretch them out. Bring them in. Curl them in. And stretch them out. And in. And stretch them out. And just bring them back down gently. Look at those bones and the muscles and the skin.
Now, if the children would like to, we have some activities up on the platform. But they're also very welcome to stay and listen to what the other grown-ups are going to share, which will be very interesting and very different. And we will just move through the rest of the responses to the reading unannounced. You'll be relieved to know you're not going to get a lecture on uh, musculoskeletal and respiratory physiology this morning, because um, I don't know anything about that anymore. Um, but the Old Testament book of Ezekiel contains some of the most mysterious and some of the most difficult to understand, difficult to interpret, and complex passages of the Bible, at least in my mind. And right now, the biggest mystery of all is why did I agree to try to shed some light on this passage? <laughs> And from a physician's perspective, that would be relevant to Pentecost Sunday as well. Uh, the church I used to belong to in London many years ago had an afternoon Sunday school class for the adults. And we would follow whichever book that was recommended for study each year by the denomination. And one year, and I think it was about 20 years ago, it was Ezekiel. And we decided to tackle it, vision of dry bones and all. It was in the commentary produced for the purpose. And I think the main conclusion we drew at the end of the year was that the author had performed the near impossible task of writing a commentary that was even more difficult to understand and complex than the book of Ezekiel itself. <laughs> and that's certainly one very uh, common similarity with the practice of medicine. Now, I belong to the generation of physicians that believes in giving a lot of information to patients, taking them through all the evidence, actively engaging them in decisions about their health and about their care, rather than the more paternalistic approach that was fashionable in previous generations. Now, when I started out in clinical research, patient information sheets for clinical trials were about one to two pages long. They're now between 20 and 25 pages long, and we have to provide a one to two page summary. Just over a week ago, I was at a conference down south, and there was a discussion on pancreatic cancer as it was on the science and clinical work in the morning. And in the afternoon there was a, I think you would call it a lively debate, it was more of a, a rammy, uh, on the quality of life questionnaires. Whether quality of life questionnaires gives useful information within clinical trials or whether we're just actually burdening patients by filling in more paperwork which actually has a negative effect on their quality of life. And the conclusion we came to at the end of the meeting was that patients really want to know two things. Is this intervention going to make me feel better? And will it help me to live longer? Of course, we need to study the complexities of diseases and their pathogenesis. Uh, but we should never lose sight of those two simple facts that really matter to patients and to people. And so it is with Ezekiel. Of course, we need to study and analyze his vision, read all the commentaries. But ultimately, it's a simple message. It's a message of life. It's a message of death and of a new life, of renewal and recreation through the Holy Spirit. But it's much more than the physical life and death of medical practice. This is more of a spiritual life, death and recreation. Now this vision has echoes of the creation story in Genesis 2, and is also a paradigm for the Pentecost. Following the fall of Jerusalem, the downfall of Israel, the exiles were in a community living in order to die, rather than dying in order to get a new life through the Spirit. Someone taught me a very important lesson about 25 years ago now, when he told me, you can always do something for a patient, even if it's just hope and emotional support. Now, after berating them for almost 30 chapters, Ezekiel tells the people of God that these dry bones have a future, that no situation is too hopeless for our God, and that we have a God who keeps his promises. And so it is for us at Pentecost. I doubt that stem cell technology will ever allow us to take dry bones and make muscles, soft tissues, and a human body. But even if we did, human life and human bodies need the spirit. Just as the four winds gave life to the dry bones, so we now have life through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I don't know if Ezekiel had a copy of Baptist Praise and Worship when he was looking out at the Valley of Dry Bones. But if he had, and if he was thinking ahead of Pentecost, he may have said, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, 
He bled and died to take away my sin. This is the ultimate message of hope. We have God through whom all things are possible and a God who keeps his promises of new life, of recreation, through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. How great thou art. First of all, thank you for giving me the chance to do this because I've wanted for a while to make a piece of jewellery based on a Bible passage because there's not much contemporary jewellery in those kind of themes and this has kind of given me a kick into doing it, so thank you. Um, For me, this passage shows hope. The exiles were losing hope and God eventually saved them and that to me is an important message. We can trust in God's plans, trust in God's protection. Um, So this is what I made. I put it up on the screen because it's fairly small. (laughs) Not sure whether you'd be able to see it. Um, It's a very small little silver man cast in silver. um, And he's surrounded by crosses built up into a big pattern. Um, Without the crosses there, the little man would scratch and tarnish when he was worn. But the crosses stop this, although in protecting the man, they get scratched themselves. This is to show the great sacrifice that God made by giving us his son to save us. To me, this shows hope, as through this we are saved. Um, In addition to this, the silver crosses are made out of sterling silver, which is actually a much more expensive silver than the cast silver of the man. And this, again, just shows... God is so much more precious, and Jesus is so much more precious than us, and yet he gave up his life to save us. Um, In terms of the actual shape, I don't know whether you can see from the photo, it's actually kind of bent around the man. The act of bending the metal weakens it, so the angles are kind of set apart from each other so that they're still extremely strong while still completely protecting the man, just as a symbol of what God does for us. I think that that, I, I just kind of wanted to make a pendant that when you wore it, you could know that God is always going to be there for you, just to remind you of that. Oh. <laughs> well... Hello everyone. Um, As most of you will know, I am an art historian and I specialise in the study of 20th century German art. And when Katrina asked me if I would like to do something for this service, I was aware of the fact that it would be Pentecost Sunday and there seemed for me only one artwork that I could talk about. It's the most powerful artwork that I know representing the subject of Pentecost. Unfortunately, its power is somewhat diminished by the fact that we've got such a sunny day that we can't really see the projection. So for anyone who's interested, I would urge you perhaps to, what you could do is Google it and have a proper look because the colours are extremely intense and powerful. I'm going to have to describe it really rather than um, allow us to look at it. But if you want to see the painting Um, you should look up the name of the artist, who is Emil Nolder, N-O-L-D-E, and the title is Pentecost, and I think if you just were to look for Nolder Pentecost, you would get it. Emil Nolder was um, a German artist living in isolation in the north of Germany in a very rural setting. He was a very um, intense um, person in many ways, And he produced this painting in 1909. It's one of a series of three very, very intense um, religious biblical paintings that he made in the space of a a short period of time. And they were very shocking to people when they were first exhibited. In this painting, we see the apostles gathered together. The thing that strikes me about it is that they're gathered close together in the darkness. And there is a bright red-purple flame on the head of each of the apostles, as is described to us in um, Acts chapter 2, describing the Holy Spirit blowing into this meeting and um, flames separating and resting on the heads of the apostles. 
And in this painting, what we see is the very intensity of this moment. The thing that strikes me about it is that we can see the faces of the apostles transformed, illuminated almost from within. They don't look like they're having an ordinary meeting. They look transformed. This was something that shocked and terrified people when they saw the painting. Critics said it looks like they're in the grip of a terrible possession. And I think that's what makes this image such a powerful image of the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people. And I think the final thing I'd like to say about this painting that um, I find most moving as a representation of God's Holy Spirit and how it can bring us together and transform it is that although it's difficult to see this, um, the hands of the apostles are doing very interesting things in this painting. In the foreground, two of the apostles reach to one another and clasp hands together. Peter is the figure who um, you see in the centre. He has a red beard, looks very Celtic. And um, he has a hand resting on his shoulder, and it's the hand of one of the apostles to his side who is gripping him. So, in other words, the point I'm making is that this experience is one that's very much about fellowship and um, community, brotherhood. And the apostles are reaching out to one another as they receive the Holy Spirit. And we know, of course, that this strength that was given to them was then what enabled them to take Christ's word out into the world. Thank you. I heard on the radio on Thursday the uh, reporter was reporting on the Egyptian elections and spoke to an Egyptian that he knew, uh, asking him who he had voted for. And the man, I think he was a silversmith, coincidentally, said that uh, he was voting for, I forget the name, was one of the generals who had been uh, in the government of Mubarak. And the BBC reporter to him said, oh, so you voted for someone from the old days, and the man immediately replied, we're all from the old days. Um, and so I suppose when I was reflecting on Ezekiel, I was struck by the use of the old bones rather than in the production of the new bones. And so I was drawn to the words, sing unto the Lord a new song, uh, and to the contradiction in there that those are extremely old words. Uh, thousands of years old that we are still using. And so in the contribution I've asked the choir to help me make, um, reflected on maybe the fact maybe that Pentecost isn't my favourite festival, one's not, uh, maybe the idea of change and disturbance are not my favourite things along with quite a lot of people. And so the contribution maybe reflects the kind of discomfort that change can cause. Um, what happens when we try not to change, when change is happening anyway? Um, well, music always has the idea of things hanging together or maybe falling apart. Um, and that change in the end is always a reaction between those, the forces that are pushing for change and those that are resisting it.
Can I first um, express my thanks to Anita, to Jeff, to Emma, to Debbie, to Paul, the choir, and the children for sharing those reflections with us. And I suspect if you're anything like me, you'll have found those little linking things going on in your mind. That is something about how God's spirit works, sparking ideas and connections within us. Whether what I say connects to any of that remains to be seen. One of the phrases we use a lot in church to describe ourselves is the body of Christ, drawing on the imagery of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And I have a suspicion that that's because we read those passages in isolation. Somehow, because of that, we miss out how it might connect to Pentecost. And the way that God's Spirit breathes life not just into individuals, but to whole congregations. And not just to local churches, but to the whole church, worldwide and in all times. I think if we actually read 1 Corinthians properly, from front to back, where we had chapters 12 through to 14 all talking about charismatic influence, the transforming power of God's spirit, we might see that a little bit more. But very often, and I think with some justification, we tend to centre on the idea of the body of Christ in this place. It's a phrase I use quite a lot to talk around our local congregation. Less often do we think more broadly to the world church. Were we to read very carefully the passages in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul uses this body imagery, we would be deeply challenged about the quality of our relationships one with another, within our own church and between different churches. This demand of love and fellowship, the linking of hands that Debbie spoke about, the hands on the shoulder, the protection that Emma spoke about, the new songs, the reaching out as we did with the bubbles, all those things are alluded to in that image of the body. It's all right, that's fine, just let them enjoy themselves. It's absolutely fine. I've lost my place, but that's that's the matter. These images are powerful images of our interconnectedness and of our diversity and a challenge about the quality of our relationships. When I lived in Hugglescote, we worked very closely with a group of four Anglican churches in a very similar way that Hillhead does with the Church of Scotland parish grouping in the West End. And in that group of churches was a tiny Anglo-Catholic, that means really high smells and bells, Anglican church, which as part of a parish restructure was going to be forced to close. Things are the same wherever you happen to live. My little Baptist congregation made a deliberate decision to stand alongside this church, which was called St. James's, in their closing months. And specifically, we cancelled our own service to attend the final Eucharist that they held, their last service, their last communion service. We said, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to stand alongside. And in that service, I was invited to offer a few words on behalf of my people. So I drew on the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, about the body that said, if one part suffers, the whole body suffers with it. We weren't passive observers of our Anglican friends in their suffering. We had compassion. We suffered with them. Their pain was our pain. There were an awful lot of things where we had to agree to disagree but we were equal members within the body of Christ. As we look around at the churches in our area, do we see that same similarity, that they are equal members in the body of Christ, even if they differ somewhat from us? I wonder what the hurts are in the wider church and how we see ourselves in relation to those churches that perhaps think differently from us. Do we define ourselves over against them? Or do we recognise that actually if they are hurting, 
so are we hurting, and so is the whole church. Far too readily we trot off Jesus' prayer for the unity of the church, bypassing our own reluctance to see that we are part of discord and disunity. This image of one body may seem an awful long way from Ezekiel's vision of a valley of dry bones, and in some senses it is. And yet. Paul's image is so clearly an image of a living body. So maybe he just carries on where Ezekiel leaves off. Suppose that we allowed ourselves to imagine the dry bones representing not Israel in diaspora, but the Christian church in all its denominations, divisions and factions. The whole church as dry and scattered. A body that far from living and active is dead and decayed. And God says to those who will hear, in my name, compel those bones to to assemble themselves into skeletons. And so it begins. Slowly, perhaps reluctantly, the bones start to sort themselves out into their rightful places. And skeletons emerge. But they cannot hold together as they are. They just collapse and fall apart. Because we also need that next stage as part of God's command for sinew and muscle to cover and connect the bones, for organs to fill the abdomen, the thorax, the skull, for skin to cover the whole, for hair, eyes, ears, noses, fingernails, toenails. And now we have bodies that are all complete. But as Jeff so rightly said, they still do not live. We need God's final command. Compel breath to enter the bodies and give them life. Only as God's spirit fills the lungs of the bodies can they live. Only as each receives divine oxygen can it begin to play its part. Only as what Ezekiel calls an army a core, a body of people in endless diversity, rises to its feet, blinks its eyes and reaches out its arms in love towards the creator and to each other, does it begin to live. And so perhaps we have a new way of imagining the body of Christ as a core of people. It's interesting, corpse and core have the same etymological root. A core of people whose life breath is the spirit of God and who are called and drawn in willing obedience to serve the purposes of God. Paul makes a lot of stress on the different parts of the human body and the importance of each part. No part should desire to be anything other than what it is. Ezekiel notes that bones and sinew and skin combine to form the body. Diversity is part of how we are made. Each organ, each bone, each muscle, as it is, is essential to the well-being of the whole. Of course we find ways of adapting if some part is injured or lost. But we do so knowing our woundedness. How challenging is that for us as part of the church? You see, the charismatic cannot say to the liturgist, don't need you, fine without you. Baptists cannot say to Catholics, don't need you. Liberals can't say to conservatives, don't need you. Nor can conservatives say that to liberals. Because all of us are part of the same body and only as each part fulfills its own unique role can the body be its healthy self as God draws it and calls it to be. I hope that you, like me, have enjoyed celebrating the diversity of gifts that God has given to people who are part of this congregation And only such a small selection of the diversity that is part of us. Some of those reflections you'll have thought, yep, I really get that. And others you'll have thought, "Mm, not so sure. 
but we trust that God's Spirit has inspired each person who has shared. Can we spread that more widely? The Christian Church in Great Britain, and in Scotland in particular, is very diverse. And there are plenty of ways if we ha- that we have to agree to disagree to avoid further wounding the whole. Perhaps that sounds negative. Perhaps you think that implies a kind of lowest common denominator beige faith. You know, something that just doesn't offend anybody but doesn't achieve anything. That's not what I mean at all. A reconciled diversity, a core of healthy bodies moving to the beat of the same drum, to the heartbeat of God, caring deeply one for another, Is that not something beautiful to which we can aspire? Jesus' parting gift was the gift of God's spirit. The bringer of vitality, diversity and of love. As we remember those events of long ago and far away, may we also open ourselves to be refreshed and renewed by that same spirit for our own time. Amen. So we stick with the idea of breath and of air and of things moving on a breeze as we come to our intercessions. And we're going to be creative today because it feels appropriate. Hopefully you found this is a bow. might not look like one, but it's meant to be a bow on your seat. And we're going to use those to symbolize our prayers. You can use words, you can use pictures, you can use squiggles. You can put them visibly with a pen or a pencil, or you can simply draw them with your finger if they're very private. And once we have made our prayers, over on the wall over there, I have a a kite of sorts, which has three strings of sticky tape onto which you can affix your bow when we've done it. But this is an act of prayer, so if we can just hold that in mind as we share. So let us pray. And on your bow, first of all, your prayers for yourself and those closest to you. For the gentle touch of the breath of God to bring healing and restoration for yourself and those you love the most. Then for this church, for the wider church in Glasgow, in Great Britain, throughout the world, for the healing of hurts, and for renewed commitment to walk together as a core of God's people. And for the world, for our city, our nation, for Europe, for the whole inhabited earth, in which God's shalom is so desperately needed, and which, through people like us, empowered by God's Spirit, can indeed bring wholeness and healing. And then, if you are able to, and if you would like to, just go and add your bow to the the strings of the kite, Or if you're not able to but would like to add yours, then if somebody sitting near you could perhaps offer to take it for you. Setting free those prayers to fly heavenward and to dance in the breeze of God's ruach, God's pneuma, God's breath of life. We offer our prayers in the name of Christ 
and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue to respond to God as we take up our offering. have inspired us by your spirit to make these offerings and so we ask that you would also inspire us in how they are employed to extend the good news of Christ's love for all in his name we offer them amen our closing hymn in some senses acts as a link on to where we will go next week and the week after number 574 God's spirit is in my heart has called me and set me apart. This is what I have to do. Please stand if you can as we sing.
Who will go for me and where shall I send? Lord, send me, but where will you send? Where the streets are dark, I will send you as a glimmer of hope. Where cries are crushed, I will send you with a voice to lift the spirit. But who will go for me? Lord, send me, but where will you send? Where the people are trafficked and the tears flow, where despair is king, where love is numb, where the young are too old. But who will go for me? Lord, send me, but where will you send? Where health and security has crumbled, where no one takes their side, where there are no counsellors, where the trail runs out in desolation. But who will go for me? Lord, send me, but when will you send? Before the next hour rings or the dusk falls or distractions gather round you again, I have sent you. Amen. Together we go in your strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit, our inspirer, comforter and friend, today and always. Mm -hmm.